We'll be reading this morning from Zechariah chapter 1, verses 7 through 17. On the 24th day of the 11th month, which is the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Iddo, saying, I saw in the night, and behold, a man riding on a red horse. He was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen, and behind him were red, sorrel, and white horses. Then I said, What are these, my Lord? The angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. And they answered the angel of the Lord, who was standing among the, among the myrtle trees, and said, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth remains at rest. Then the angel of the Lord said, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no mercy on Jerusalem and the cities of Judah, against which you have been angry these seventy years? And the Lord answered gracious and comforting words to the angel who talked with me. So the angel who talked with me said to me, Cry out, thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and for Zion. I am exceedingly angry with the nations that are at ease. For while I was angry but a little, they furthered the disaster. Therefore, thus says the Lord, I have returned to Jerusalem with mercy. My house shall be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and the measuring line shall be stretched out over Jerusalem. Cry out again, thus says the Lord of hosts, my cities shall again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion and again choose Jerusalem. Thanks, Fabian. Well, good morning, everyone. You may be seated. It is so wonderful to be with you this morning, and thank you very much, Christ Central Leadership Team, for inviting me. I'm not sure if you have heard a sermon on Zechariah before, or you've tried to read it for your quiet time, and you got so confused in terms of what you are trying to read and understand in the passage. So I have two purposes this morning. The first one is to help us how to read the book of Zechariah, and the second purpose is so us to hear what God says to us through the book of Zechariah. So please join me in the word of prayer as we ask the Lord to help us. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer. Amen. I'm not sure if you have ever heard a story about what happened once in North Korea, uh, Christians. I heard this story from Richard Cocking, who is a pastor in London, and in his church he had lots of people from North Korea. Apparently, one day, some finely dressed men who were actually from the army came to a primary school, not a primary school, and asked the children, Have you ever seen a book like this in your family? And they were referring to the Bible. Now, in North Korea, it is illegal and is not allowed to have any religion besides worshiping the ruling family. Now, as the children were asked, one little girl in excitement said, because these people are promising prizes if you show us this book in your family. In excitement, she said, I, I, I've seen it, I've seen it. And then they said, take us home and show us where it is. And as the little girl took them home to show them where the Bible was, the Secret Service of North Korea discovered that there's a cell meeting in this family. 
a Christian cell of believers who were meeting in secret, worshiping the Lord. The story goes that they were made to line up the street and to lie flat on their stomach as the army tank rolled over their heads. In the middle of that terrible event, the church started singing praises to the Lord. And as each of them, their heads were being crushed by this tank, all of them sing, sang praises to the Lord up until their very last breath. Now, when I hear that story, on one hand, I am so encouraged to hear of Christians who, even in the face of death, still sing praises to the Lord and are worshiping the Lord. But on the other hand, it breaks my heart. It makes me wonder, does God sometimes really see us? Does God care about our suffering as Christians? Because not only in North Korea where these things happen, these things happen in North Nigeria, for example, with Boko Haram. Sometimes for some of us, as soon as we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and we say we accept him as Lord and Savior, your life seems to take a bad turn. Everything seems to not go well. And you thought you were coming to the king of the universe, and you start to wonder, does God see me? If he sees me, does God care? If he cares, why is he not doing anything about it? For some of us, you come to a church this big, and you feel like no one sees you. No one cares about you. And you have this in, in Corsa. Nick is here, so I can use the language. It's called umbandedwa. You know that melancholic feeling where you feel all alone. And in that moment, you wonder, does God see me or does God care? Now, in the book of Zechariah, we are going to see that God is not blind. God sees you. God got you. And God is going to do something about you. So a little bit of a tour in the book of Zechariah, because I know some of you are still trying to find even where it is in the Bible right now. So just to help us to understand what's going on in the book. Today, in verses 7, we are going to first read about the first night vision Zechariah had. And if they can put up the slide before me. The book is set in the context after the return of the Israelites from exile in Babylon. Zechariah and Haggai ministered, ministries happened around the same time. And according to Zechariah, uh, Ezra chapter 5, verse 1 to 2, both prophets challenged the people to rebuild the temple of the Lord and for the people to turn back to God. The problem for the people is that they started returning to the land, but as they are in the land, things don't seem to be quite all right. You hear about the sorry state of affairs in Haggai chapter 1, verse 6. For example, Haggai chapter 1, verse 6 says, and this is what we see in Haggai chapter 1, verse 6, we read, You have so much, many of us know that thing, you have labored and you worked so much and harvested little. How many of you feel about after the month end about your bank account? You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does, not put, uh, does so to put them in passes with holes. I'm not sure if that describes your bank account 
or your experience with work, where even though you belong to the Lord, things don't seem to be quite all right. And now the word of the Lord comes to Zechariah. The first thing is interesting. The word of the Lord comes to a prophet by the name of Zechariah, which means God remembers. God remembers you. God got you. Now, in Zechariah, there are these eight visions that are very confusing when you read them. I mean, we didn't read the next one from verse 18 about horns. That is even more confusing, right? But in Zechariah 1 to 6, there are these eight night visions Zechariah see. When you look at them, you might be confused, but there's actually a melodic line running through all these visions. The first vision and the last vision actually correspond together in that they are both having horses, but more than that, there's a movement in the book of Zechariah. Chapters 1 to chapters, uh, the first three visions will end in chapter uh, 2, actually speak of the movement that is the Lord is coming. The Lord is coming to Jerusalem. And then, of course, the last three visions also correspond with that. If God is coming... That's wonderful news, but it's also a bad problem. Now, if you have lots of kids, you know what I mean. When visitors come to your house, your heart you get that minor heart panic. You look at your house, it's in a mess, and then you, everyone springs around trying to clean it, and you dump everything in the comfort. But if God is coming, the problem is we have sin. The last three visions show us how God is actually going to take sin away from us and exile sin to Babylon. And then, of course, if God is going to come to dwell with us, how are we going to relate to him? Chapters 3 to 4, the, four, the, the fourth and the fifth vision show us that how God is going to deal with, his, uh, with sin is through the reestablishment of the temple and the priestly system so that people might be able to worship him. So that's how it's happening in the books. Don't believe everything you read in the internet where they try to say, which kingdom is this one? So let's look at the first vision a little bit. A man on a horse. Zechariah chapter 1. Verses 7. On the 24th day of the 11th month, the month of Shabbat, in the second year of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the, prophets, uh, to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Edo. Now, this is the second time in the book of Zechariah that the word of the Lord is coming to the prophet Zechariah. In chapters 1, verse 1, we are told, in the eighth month of the second year of, the, of Darius, the word of the Lord came to the prophet Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Edo. Now, when I read the Old Testament as an African, I get very excited. Did you notice there? It's Zechariah, son of Berechiah, son of Edo. Uh, in Africa, when I introduce myself to people, before I even give my name, do you know what I say? I am Umkoko Uzkali. And many of you can't even pronounce those names. But basically what I mean, I trace my generation, my ancestors, by six generations back to show who I am today. And this is what's happening in the book of Zechariah, is that Zechariah, we get his lineage, but more than this thing, remember the people are back in the land, things don't feel quite right. God is actually going to come to them and speak. In the first message, verse 1 to 6, Zechariah only heard. Now in the second message, we are told that Zechariah saw. 
So Zechariah sees in this message, uh, which is viewed as a night visions. So how are we to understand this section of chapters 1, verse 7 to 17? Well, I want us to look at the very various characters in this chapter, because if you understand these characters in the book of Zechariah, this helps us in how to read the book as you hopefully from now in your quiet time, you'll start looking at Zechariah. So you look at verse 8, during the night I had a vision, the phrase literally reads, I saw. And what did Zechariah see? There before him was a man mounted on a road horse, which introduces us to the, the two characters so far. So the first character is Zechariah. Did you notice that? Yes. Zechariah sees, and what does he see? He introduced to a second character. This character was standing among the metal trees in a ravine, and behind him were red horses, brown and white horses. There is no significance about the colors of horses regarding what the internet says. The wonderful things about our first character, Zechariah, is that he helps us to understand the book. Because throughout Zechariah, Zechariah is like that student in class. When you want to ask a question but you feel so embarrassed because it sounds like it's a stupid question, and then you hold it deeply, and then the, one of your classmates actually gets that guts to ask the question that you all want to ask, and then you feel the relief. Zachariah throughout the book is clueless, like all of us. And that's a wonderful thing I love about the book of Zachariah, because look at what it says in verse 9. I ask, what are these, my Lord? Do you see? It's nice. This is horses. <laughs> people before him. <laughs> and Zechariah, I know there's something happening here, but I'm so confused. What is it? And throughout the book, Zechariah's role is, what are these, my Lord? And then we are introducing Zechariah in verse 9 to a third character who's very important for the book of Zechariah. This character is actually more like a tour guide. When you go to Cape Town, there's a red bus, and these people give you all the information you need to get about the city. Look, and this character is introduced in verse 9 as the angel who was talking with me. He says, I will show you what they are. And then again, in verse 19, in verse 14a, we read, then the angel who was speaking to me said... So this character, the third character, is actually the key person in the entire book of Zechariah. He tells you what to understand about what Zechariah sees, not what the internet tells you you should see. So what is it that Zechariah sees? Let's look at the first character, the man on the road horse. It's actually our second character in terms of the story. This man is mounted on the horse standing among the metal trees in the ravine, and behind him there are multitude of horses. Now, during Zechariah's time, horses were normally considered noble and powerful animals, especially for an army. It was more like American, you know, Americans, you guys have a powerful army in the world, right? The armed forces. But what is interesting in the book of Zechariah, these horses are not actually like the army. These horses are more like the FBI and the CIA. 
Because we see in verse 10, which I explain these horses. This is now the other character explaining to Zechariah says, these horses are the ones the Lord has sent throughout the earth. These are God's spying agents in the world. And what do these agents of the Lord see? Well, in verse 11, we are told, they reported to the angel of the Lord who was standing among the metal tree, which is more like the head of CIA or FBI. And they say, we have gone throughout the earth and found the earth, the whole world at rest and in peace. Now, for me, when I first read that, I was excited. I mean, isn't that wonderful for world peace? Isn't this what we prayed for? But verse 12 tells us this is not a good kind of peace. The world is at rest, the world is at peace, but this is a peace outside God's grace and mercy. This is a peace when people say, you know what, Lord, let, get, let me alone. Let me be in charge of my own life. But the terrible thing about this peace is these two pictures that are just opposed to each other. On the one hand, the world is at peace, but God's people are not at peace. Look at verse 12. Then the angel of the Lord said, Lord Almighty, how long will you withhold mercy from Jerusalem and from the town of Judah, which you have been angry with these 70 years? I mean, don't you feel that way sometimes as Christians? You look at people outside who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, they seem to have everything right. Life seems perfect for them. But yet, you are marked by this struggle in your own family. I remember once, for example, my friend diagnosed with uh, cancer, how angry and upset he was. From the age of 14, he gave his life to Jesus. He, this guy never smoked one cigarette in his life. He never drank. He never went to, to the parties. He never had drugs. I mean, the illegal drugs. And then he had a brother. The brother did all those things. And the brother just, his life seemed to be so perfect. He got a promotion after promotion while my friend actually was losing a job. My friend is diagnosed with cancer. His brother, who was like a chimney, there's nothing. He's perfectly healthy. And in those moments, he asked the Lord in despair, how long? Will you hold, hold your mercy from me, God? Don't you feel that way sometimes when you look at your marriage? It's like, I've given it all. But yet, things don't seem to be going well. And you break up crying, is how long, Lord, should our family go through this? Now, the book of Zechariah actually tells us, no, no, in those moments, you are not alone. God sees you. God cares about you, and God is going to do something about you. But God seeing you is is wonderful when we think in terms of justice for outsiders. Because that means God is going to meet those who are unjust. But because God really sees me, it's also terrible news for me. Because it means that I can't hide my sin from him. I can hide it from my family. I can hide it from everyone. But he sees me. What's and all? I can come to church every week and everyone thinks I'm the perfect member of this community. 
but God sees me. And he knows how far my heart can be from him, even though I'm in his presence at church. And guess what was God's message to Zechariah? The first message to Zechariah in chapter 1, verse 3 to 4 was, Return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. Do not be like your fathers to whom former prophets cried out, the Lord of hosts, uh, the Lord of hosts, return from your evil ways and from your evil deeds. If God sees me, first of all, I better make sure that my life is right with him. If God sees me, it means that I should not just do church. I should do business with him. I need to repent and come to him. And the Lord promises to come to me. But also, because God sees us, God tells us he's going to do something about our pain and our suffering. Look at verse 14. Then the angel of the Lord, the angel who was speaking to me said, proclaim this world, this word, this is what the Lord Almighty says, I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. I was very angry. I am very angry with the nation that feels secured. There are two things that I want to highlight in this passage as we're about to close. First of all, God sees you. He loves you. Did you see that? He said, I am very jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. Now, you see, this is not the kind of bad jealousy. This is a beautiful kind of jealousy. You see, I love my daughters. I have two daughters. I am jealous for my daughters. No one comes near them, and you touch them. Listen, at times I feel like I'm going to take Jesus and put him on the side and deal with you. That's how jealous I am about my daughters. And this is how God, when he sees us and is jealous for us, look at Zechariah chapter 2, verse 8 to 9. It says, For this is what the Lord Almighty says, after the glorious one has sent me against the nation that have plundered you. For whoever touches you, touches an apple of his eye. Have you ever thought of yourself that you are actually an apple of God's eye? You know, as a father, you always have your two little beautiful daughters. I don't care what you say. My daughters are the most beautiful daughters in the world. They are the apple of my eye. And guess what? That's how God views you when you belong to him. He says, whoever touches you, touches an apple of his eyes, and God is going to do something about it. And that's the first thing that the Lord wants the people to know, that God loves you and he sees you. The other thing God promises in this passage is in himself. I think the ladies sometimes understand this thing. As men, we tend to have a temptation to think the gifts we send, maybe it's enough. But sometimes the ladies want us to be present as husband. I just want you here. Not only here, but engaging with me. Look at what the Lord promises in verse 16. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, I will return to Jerusalem with mercy, and there my house will be rebuilt. Proclaim this in verse 17 further. This is what the Lord Almighty said, My town again will overflow with prosperity, and I will again comfort Zion. 
Do you notice that the first thing that God promises us is not his blessings, as wonderful as they are, he promises us himself. And the Lord actually fulfilled this promise in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Emmanuel, God with us, coming to live among us, and not only to live among us, to die on the cross like a criminal so that your sins and my sins can be forgiven. There's no greater love than that. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. But not only that, Christianity is not only the ticket to heaven. The Lord promised us that he's going to bless us. As Christians, we await for that picture that is given in Revelation 21, where John saw, he said, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And then I heard the loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. There will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death, or mourning, or pain, for the old order of things have passed away. Isn't that a wonderful thing? God's promise for us is that I love you, I see you, I got you, and guess what? I'm going to give you myself. And he still has, he has the best is yet in store for us when the new heaven and the new earth come. So please join me in the word of prayer. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks that you see us, and that, Lord, you are our Emmanuel God with us. Lord, we give you thanks that through your death on the cross, we can have a, a living relationship with the Father. Lord, I pray for those who are going through difficulties this morning, those who feel unheard or unseen. Lord, will they be aware of your presence today? And Lord, we ask all of this in your name. Amen.